Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Friday, August 4th. Coming up, back in 1931, the construction of the Bagnell Dam created the Lake of the Ozarks, but it also submerged communities and displaced families. Life kind of fell apart for a lot of us. We'll hear the contentious origin story of one of Missouri's most popular destinations. Plus, when one local artist works on his car, he's not just changing oil or inflating his tires, he's using found objects to tell a story. The hood is a shot-up refrigerator door from the 1950s. It has a huge toothy grill from a 1961 Buick Special Riviera. We'll take a ride in Philo Northrup's art car in Lawrence. But first, some headlines. The Missouri Department of Transportation released a plan yesterday to address safety on the three passenger rail lines in the state. The new report comes one month after Governor Mike Parson approved $50 million in general revenue to go toward railroad safety. It also comes more than a year after an Amtrak crash near Menden that killed four people. The independent report recommends nearly $19 million in improvements to railroad crossing, including upgrading 27 of them with flashing lights and gates and closing 17 of them. MoDOT director Patrick McKenna says consolidation will improve safety. You know, it's important for some crossings to be closed and consolidated because even with lights and gates, nearly 50 percent of vehicle crashes occur at a crossing that has lights and gates. But the initiative won't address two dangerous rail crossings in the Kansas City area. Just Tuesday, a freight train hit a semi-truck that was reportedly stuck on what MoDOT calls a humped crossing at 187th Street near Holmes Street, south of Kansas City. The crash injured three members of a Minnesota truck-driving family. And in February, an Amtrak train hit a FedEx delivery truck at a rural crossing near Pleasant Hill, killing the driver. That crossing is marked with a sign, but no flashing lights or gate to block the tracks. The Jackson County Assessment Department is now working through about 53,000 property tax assessment appeals. KCUR's Eva Tesfai reports. The county's assessor's office has gotten through about 13,000 appeals so far. Six percent of those were resolved by people withdrawing their appeals. The average home value increased by about 30 percent, but some residents saw increases of more than 200 percent. Jackson County Assessment Director Gail McCann-Beatty says that the office has more appeals than last year, but is getting through them faster. It is more than we, a little more than what we anticipated, but we knew we did a lot of things this year so that those numbers were going to be higher. The deadline to file an appeal has now passed and the call center is no longer working, but informal appointments will continue until August 15th. The MR340, a 340-mile race from Kansas City to St. Charles, Missouri, along the Missouri River, ended early this week due to severe weather conditions. The heavy rain across the state flooded tributaries and raised river levels, and a lack of moonlight made the world's longest nonstop river race unnavigable. This was Courtney Wasson's fifth race with her husband, Phil. She says they saw logs as big as tractor trailers in the water before the race was called off. We've encountered heat, we've encountered rain, we've encountered storms on the river. This was different. I think the combination of wind and flooding makes it treacherous. Four out of the past 15 races have been postponed due to weather. We'll be back after this. 
Oreo is the most famous cookie in the world, but few people remember the product that it blatantly ripped off, a creation of Jacob Luce in Kansas City. Not only was Oreo this copycat of Hydrox, it was also built on the back of the company that Jacob had founded himself. How Kansas City started the cookie wars. Hear the whole story on the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Missouri's Lake of the Ozarks attracts millions of tourists each year. But how this man-made lake came to be is complicated. From sunken homes to unique new opportunities, Suzanne Hogan, host of KCUR's podcast, A People's History of Kansas City, brings us the story. With more shoreline than the whole state of California, the Lake of the Ozarks in mid-central Missouri attracts a range of tourists. People like Jen Spray, who come to enjoy the water. It's the closest you can get to being on the ocean in the Midwest, in my opinion. While others come to party. You want to know how drunk you are? Pay us. Drawn by the bustling nightclub scene. To some, it feels like the lake is changing too drastically, too fast. But this place has seen extreme transformations before, considering it's a man-made body of water less than 100 years old. The lake of the Ozarks means everything to me. Like most lakes and waterways in the region, the Lake of the Ozarks was designed to be where it is. Most projects of the early 1900s were engineered to help with irrigation and flood control. Unlike most of those federally funded projects, the Lake of the Ozarks was always rooted in private interests. As early as 1912, Ralph Street, a Kansas City lawyer and real estate agent, dreamed of building the Bagnell Dam to corral the waters of the Osage River and create a lake that would supply hydroelectric power for St. Louis. We knew a lot of people who actually lived through the um, building of Bagnell Dam and the creation of the lake. Dan William Peake is a true local from the area and co-author of the book A People's History of the Lake of the Ozarks. And I'm a hillbilly. You know, I play the banjo. I, uh, I like moonshine. Peake spoke to KCUR back in 2018. He's since passed away. In that interview, he said before the lake's construction, the area was filled with wooded hills and river bottoms. The population was mostly isolated, farmers and homesteaders. To turn this rugged landscape into a lake bottom, the builders demolished homes, clear-cut trees, and moved cemeteries. Some people did take offers to relocate, but many were confused and didn't want to go, as captured in a documentary made 75 years later. Nobody could believe it could happen. Life kind of fell apart for a lot of us. In 1929, construction of the dam began, the same year as the stock market crash that led to the Great Depression. Co-author Kent Van Landit says crews worked around the clock. Many of the same people who were displaced by the dam's construction ended up working to build it. There was not a depression in that area because the construction of the dam employed about 4,000 people on any given day. After just two years of construction, the Bagnell Dam was completed and the lake began to fill. The first decade of the lake mostly catered to rich businessmen from the cities. But in the 1950s and 60s, things started to shift as the concept of vacation getaways and lakeside homes were being marketed to the growing middle class. The Ozarks, if you can't relax here, you likely never will. 
Attractions like Lee Mace's Old Ozark Opry famously drew in visitors for decades, which in turn created more business opportunities for locals and outsiders. It's just truly has become urban from what used to be rural hillbilly area. To the late Dan William Peake's wife, Joy Peake, whose family also goes back generations, the next chapter in the lake's history book is complicated. You know, I like the quiet. I guess you also look at it, if you're a local that owns a, a business, you look forward to those people coming. With a new multi-million dollar development on the docket for next year, it's hard to say what the next 100 years will look like here. True locals, longtime lake goers, and weekend warriors hitting the clubs all have their different ideas of who the lake belongs to and what it's for. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Suzanne Hogan. You can hear the full story behind the making of the Lake of the Ozarks on the KCUR podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. If you see a car in your rearview mirror that has painted flames and outrageous accessories, what you're seeing is more than just a vehicle. It's a movable sculpture. KCUR's Julie Denache has the story of one local artist who turns heads wherever he drives. There we go. It's a warm spring day and Philo Northrup is in the driveway adding blue neon flames to the side of his car. What I'm doing is attaching the neon to the flames. It's not just any car, it's an art car. And Northrop spent thousands of hours modifying it. So this is Philco and the deal with this car is it has a lot of 20th century manufactured products, industrial age stuff. It's kind of a beast. Northrop is an assemblage artist. He takes interesting objects and puts them together. Sometimes those objects end up bolted to his car. The hood is a shot up refrigerator door from the 1950s. It has a huge toothy grill from a 1961 Buick Special Riviera. And then it has a big rib bone spoiler up front and a huge vertebrae in the back. It has elk antlers bursting out of this fridge door, being consumed by these flames around the engine. It's an art firm that's not without rules. First of all, an art car has to be legal and safe, and it needs to look as good in the parking lot as it does heading down the highway. The normal context for these vehicles is the regular world. You see them in your rearview mirror, you see them in the parking lot, you see them on the highway. Philco is Northrop's seventh art car. He's been creating these sculptures on wheels since he added zebra stripes to a Chevy Vega in 1983. Now Northrop owns two art cars, and he drives them every day. Both on the road and off, they attract a lot of attention. These cars have been everywhere. They've been in Canada and Mexico and throughout the desert. Both these cars have crossed the Rockies. You know, can your sculpture do that? It's rare to see an art car out in the wild, but there are art car gatherings all over the country, like the art car parades in Baltimore, Minneapolis, and Houston. Northrop's been to all of them. He ran one himself in San Francisco before moving to Kansas City a couple years ago. Drivers to your car. But one of the oldest continuous art car events in the country started in 1997 in Lawrence, Kansas 
The Art to Go Parade is held in May, and it draws in artists from near and far. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Northrop's cars bring art into the world every day. They're weird and wonderful, and Northrop says, that's kind of the point. <laughs> thank you. I get love everywhere I go, and they're almost universally electrified by it. What they get in a millisecond is that it's, it's my car, I can do what I want with it, and this is what I chose to do with it, and I obviously put some effort into it. And they're just fascinated by that. For Northrop, it's moments like these that make all the work on his car worthwhile. You know, uh, making art is a very soul-enriching thing, and everybody should do it. That doesn't mean everyone should be a quote-unquote artist, you know, but it's just really fulfilling to do something creative and share it with somebody. And for Northrop, sharing his art is an everyday event. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Julie Denishay. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read Suzanne's story on the Lake of the Ozarks and Julie's story about Philo Northrup, including photos of his cars, at kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show and want to help us out, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.